Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen on our program tonight, hitting the reset button. The speech from the throne begins a new parliamentary session on Wednesday. What's the government's plan for helping Canadians get through the ongoing pandemic and the plan for rebuilding the economy? And will the opposition parties, or at least one of them, buy in? As we reflect on how to restart the economy, how to create good jobs for now and into the future, obviously, The uh, green sector and uh, newer jobs and innovation and clean tech are going to be an essential part of building back better and building a stronger future. And these are all things we're going to be addressing uh, with the level of ambition that Canadians expect. There are millions of Canadians that want to plan, Mr. Trudeau. Uh, Not more hashtags, not build better slogans. Let's see the plan. And if it's for the betterment of the country, we'll support parts of that plan. If we don't see it, we'll put forward our own vision. But I don't want Canadians to, again, uh, fall to what the Liberals do, where they they say a lot of nice things in a throne speech. They campaign on things and they don't actually deliver them. And I'm I'm expecting that might be the exact same thing again. They'll say a lot of nice things um, and they'll be empty words because they're not actually doing anything. Well, coming up, I'll speak with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and we'll discuss the speech from the throne and the return of Parliament with our panel of parliamentary journalists. But first... Let's bring in Federal Cabinet Minister Karina Gould to look ahead to the speech from the throne. She is Canada's Minister for International Development. She joins me from Burlington, Ontario. Uh, Minister Gould, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me tonight. It's good to see you. Uh, You were part of the Cabinet retreat to flesh out the content of the speech from the throne. Uh, What should Canadians expect to hear on Wednesday? Well, first and foremost, Peter, Canadians should expect to hear a plan for dealing with the current situation that we're in. I think as, you know, the numbers have shown over the past uh, week in particular, we're certainly not out of the woods when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we still have to address the very real concerns and very real issues that are Canadian that Canadians are facing both when you know it comes to our primary concerns with protecting people's health and safety, but also making sure that we're taking care of the economy and the economic well-being of Canadians. So can you give us some sense specifically of, of what that means in terms of, um, I suppose, and the, the, I mean, I think a lot of Canadians are probably wondering whether the government will be dialing back economic supports to get people back to work, even as the COVID-19 case numbers, as you pointed, are rising again. What can you tell us about the level of support that those Canadians who've needed help will continue to get from the federal government? Well, as the Prime Minister has been very clear, you know, our government will be there for Canadians at every step through this crisis that we're in at the moment. So whether it was the income supports that we provided and those will be changing um, you know, from the CERB to uh, back onto EI um, in, in the coming days, uh, as well as the new Canada response benefit to make sure that those who don't qualify for EI still have continued support. Um, but also, you know, making sure that our our restarting and our reopening of the economy is safe. Um, you know, we've seen from other countries around the world who thought that they had the pandemic under control, or at least, you know, we're moving in a positive direction, that if you move too quickly and you don't do things in a prudent way that you can see a very strong resurgence of cases. And so, you know, as I said, and as the Prime Minister has been very clear, our number one priority is the health and safety of Canadians. And so as we look to restart the economy, we're going to be very focused on making sure that we're doing it in a safe way, that we can get people 
um, back to work in a way that is safe, that protects uh, their health and safety. Um, and, you know, that we're looking at, you know, investments that are, you know, going to continue to put us back onto a path of economic growth. But will the government, will the speech from the throne commit to Canadians, for instance, there, you, you, you may have seen some of the studies that suggest that the, this conversion, moving people off CERB onto, uh, onto uh, employment insurance, that in some cases, I think it's 2.7 million people will be getting less money than they got under the CERB. Um, should, is that what they should expect to continue? Or will the government be making sure that they are receiving the same kind of support they had uh, um, up until now. Well, certainly with the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, I mean, that was a temporary measure to deal with the immediate issue of, you know, the millions of people who were either laid off or lost their jobs as a result of the response to COVID. And we wanted to make sure that we got through that most difficult period of time and the immediate urgency that that we all faced. Um, we recognize that that was not going to be a permanent um you know, situation and, and response, which is why we've taken, you know, the time over the last six months to transition people back onto EI and to back and, and created this new benefit as well. We recognize that there is an important balance of, you know, making sure that people have the support they need if they don't have a job and they don't have income coming in. At the same time, making sure that, you know, if there is a job to go to, that people are returning to work, but in a way that is safe, um, that will protect their health and protect their safety. So we're very focused on maintaining that balance. You know, I think the the measures to make sure that people could go home and stay home so that we could flatten the curve in the spring were really important and what put Canada on such a good path. But, but I guess so, a lot of people are worried that that's where we're headed again, and that a lot of people maybe might be into another lockdown, people forced to stay at home and the issues that uh, accompany that. Um, and I guess, it, will will they, can they be assured that, They'll, they'll be treated the same way in terms of, of government economic supports as they were in the first lockdown. Well, so this is exactly why we have, you know, strengthened the EI system to make sure that it can respond to people if they de do need to return home and or if they are laid off. Um, and that's exactly why we put the uh, Canada response benefit in place as well to make sure those who don't qualify for EI have a support. Um, and I think the other important thing to recognize is that, you know, we're going to um, you know, have to do it on a regional basis. I think we're we're very much hoping that you know we don't get to a position where the the whole country uh, returns to you know a stay at home order and, and measure. And that's why it's so important that we've made the investments in contact tracing and testing, um, so that we can be really clear and understand where outbreaks are happening, and then deal with them on hopefully either you know a municipal or regional basis, so that we don't have those widespread kind of shutdowns. Mm. But I think this is also a really important point in that, you know, I think a lot of people were hoping that, you know, as we got through the spring and summer, that the fall would be, you know, completely about recovery. But I think what we've all realized is that, you know, COVID is really here with us and we're going to be living with it for a while. So we need to make sure, and this is precisely what the speech from the throne is going to be about on Wednesday, is that Canadians can rest assured that the government of Canada will be there to support them as we continue to live with COVID-19, that we're supporting their health and safety. We're dealing with the very real anxieties and stresses that people have, you know, from 
you know, being parents and and worried about, um, you know, childcare arrangements and working from home, having to go back to work, um, you know, the issue of going back to school, uh, you know, for people who ha- are still looking for income supports. I mean, there's there's a whole range of things that people right now are, are anxious about. And, you know, our response in the speech from the throne is really going to demonstrate that we're going to continue to be there for Canadians. Uh, the, the speech is going to look forward to about what happens after uh, after we get through the, how, to, how to rebuild the economy, although it's not it may have been the key focus a month ago, but it's not the key focus anymore, we're told. Um, is it too early to talk about rebuilding the economy uh, while we're still in the midst of the pandemic? Well, so I think it's it's um, it's important to talk about what rebuilding can look like. Um, so we still have to very much deal with um, the situation right now, but we also have to recognize that this is also a time um, that we should be thinking um, and making those investments so that once you know we we are able to get through the pandemic, that you know the Canadian economy can really take off once again. You know, we were in a very strong fiscal position um, at the beginning of this year. We continue to have um, you know space uh, to make those investments and so it's important for us to be grounded uh, in reality but also to look towards the future and that's exactly where the safe reopening and safe okay. restart is really important just have about 20 seconds here uh, that's the pandemic response we'll hear about in Canada you're the Minister of International Development will the speech from the throne commit a dollar amount to the COVAX facility that's the International Fund to help uh, poor countries get access to a COVID-19 vaccine when it's available. Will we hear about that in the speech from the throne? Uh, I don't know because uh, I'm waiting to see what's in the speech from the throne as well. But what I can say is that Canada uh, is committed to the COVAX facility and we are committed to uh, an equitable, accessible vaccine right around the world. All right. uh, Karina Gold, thanks so much for your time tonight, uh, Minister. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Well, once again, all eyes are on the leader of the NDP to see whether he will support the speech from the throne and keep the minority Liberal government afloat. I'm joined now by NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. Good to see you as well. Can the Liberals count on your support for the speech from the throne? Well, we haven't made our decision yet, but we've laid out a really clear marker. What we said to the Prime Minister, and I said it on our conversation that we had on Friday, is, uh, and, and I want to make it really clear, is for us, you know, the throne speech is words on paper. We will look at it very cl- closely and make a decision whether or not we want to support it. But we can guarantee our support for legislation that will extend CERB while the changes to EI are being worked out, extend CERB, and also ensure that people have access to paid sick leave. If those two things are available and present, we will support that legislation and we will continue to move forward. Those two things are the most pressing things right now immediately for people. CERB being extended while the EI details are being worked out so that everyone who needs help can get it, and paid sick leave. Those are our two clear demands so that we can keep moving forward. But more, more importantly, if those are put in legislation, we will absolutely give our support for those two things. All right, so uh, a couple of things to unpack there. You spoke, as you say, with the Prime Minister on Friday afternoon. What, what, did you get those commitments from him about, uh, about paid sick leave and an extension of the CERB? Did he say... Uh, Jagmeet, that's a great idea. I can guarantee you they will be in the speech from the throne and they'll be followed up by legislation. Did you get that commitment? No, I did not get the commitment. There was an openness and a willingness to listen, but I didn't get the commitment. He would, he said he would, he would consider those, those, uh, that feedback and, and the things that we said are really important. He did seem open to it, but again, no commitment. But I want to be very clear. If those two pieces, those two supports for people, 
you know, we are we are focused on fighting for people. If there is help for extending serve and making sure workers don't have to make the impossible choice, going and work sick or staying at home, not knowing if they'll have any pay and not being able to pay the bills at the end of the month. If those two things are there, uh, we will support that legislation. If there's those two pieces, and we will we will vote for those things to continue to go forward. Right. I mean, I don't think we necessarily expect to see. You wouldn't see the legislation in the speech. They would flow from that at some point. So. What will it take for you to support the speech then? Just a mention of those two things that the government plans to act on them? Is, is that good enough? Well, uh, the, the speech is what we're understanding from the Liberals is that they have legislation that they're going to put forward around EI. And the changes that they're proposing to EI are going to give people uh, $1,600 instead of $2,000. Right. Those who can't go back to work, those whose uh, those, their sectors or their workplaces are still shut down and cannot work are going to get $400 less. That to me is wrong. So I've made it clear that more than just the words on paper and the throne speech, the actions of the government matter to me and in fact matter to people. And so what we're saying is instead of putting forward that legislation, if the government withdraws that and instead puts forward uh, at the same time legislation around uh, extending CERB and getting paid sick leave, then that would be an indication that the government's actually willing to work for people and support our vision of helping those who are in need. And then, then we would be in a position to consider support. All right. So we've be- not made up our mind and we're ready to vote no. But our goal is not to vote no. Our goal is to find a way to continue to help people. Our goal is not to plunge the country into an election. Our goal is to fight for people. But I'm willing to go to an election if, it, if that is what it takes. It is not my goal. Okay. So to be very clear, uh, those two things need to be uh, not. They need to be spoken about and promised in the speech from the throne and followed up with with legislation. And and so. Uh, they're not there. Uh, you're prepared to vote against the government. Uh, I'm. I'm actually saying I don't. I'm not even. <clears throat> I'm not worried about them being in the speech. I want to see the legislation. Uh, the the liberals can propose the same way they leaked out and proposed their changes to EI. They can put out in the public realm that they are going to move ahead with an extension of CERB and table legislation right after the throne speech. Right. That to me is the test. Is that whether they are actually going to put forward the changes that people need so that we can get help to people who cannot go back to work. Right, so what Those you're saying, but that certainly leaves the door open for them to make sort of broad references to uh, those two issues. Uh, that that would be enough, uh, from what I'm hearing, that would be enough to win your support for the speech itself. Uh, even even if it, I, mean, I, I want to be clear here, do, do, you, do you think that, so in their speech, they need to see legislation, they need to say legislation will be coming forward in the coming days on these two issues to do the things you say you want. If that's not a, pr- a promise in the speech, you vote no? Well, the, the thing is, a speech is going to happen on one day. The vote's not going to happen for days later. Right. So there's many days in between. And, and that's what I'm saying is that, no, I'm not concerned about the words that they say. Uh, I will take a look at that, and I will take a careful look at what they're promising. I'm, and I'm sure they're going to say a lot of the things that we put out that we want to see in terms of help to people for their health care, for farming care. I know that they're going to say things around making sure we invest in people. But again, their words are kind of meaningless. They've said the same things in past throne speeches. So I'm not focused on the words they say. The words they say, frankly, to me, are kind of meaningless. They've said a lot of promises in the past throne speech and have done nothing on those things. Pharmacare, dental care. They talked about cell phone and Internet charges being too expensive, like I asked them to do. But they didn't do anything about it. So I, I frankly am giving very little weight to the words they say. I want to see their actions. So, no, it's not going to be good enough if they say it in the throne speech. In the days that follow this throne speech, I'll see if they actually bring forward the legislation. 
and that will inform my decision whether or not we actually vote yes or no. Right, but in, in the practice of Parliament, if you don't, if you support the speech from the throne, which is, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think you're going to, because that's what it sounds like you're saying. Uh, but and then no, you, no, well, let's be very clear. I'm not saying that at all. All right, but I then you want to see if there's legislation that's put forward after the throne speech when they have an opportunity to do so, and that to me is going to back up whether the words they say are actually meaningful or not. If they don't put forward that legislation then I could care less what they say in the throne speech. That means that they're on one hand willing to hurt people by cutting the help that goes to people who can't go back to work, those who can't go back to their jobs. They're willing to cut that support by $400. And they're saying, on the other hand, they're going to do these great things. That, to me, is going to show that the throne speech is meaningless if they don't actually bring forward the legislation. Right. So, so do, I can make it very clear. Does that mean you're saying, you I mean, see, the, nec the next stop? You want to see help for people with, uh, that, that cannot go back to work, so extend SERP. And we want to see help for workers who need to know that they can have paid sick leave so they don't have to go into work sick. Great. So you're saying from the time they, they introduced the speech from the throne uh, till the time the debate is finished on it and the vote, you need to see something in that time frame uh, or you could vote against it when the vote comes? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh, listen, thanks very much for your time. We'll uh, cross paths when you're back here in Ottawa and it's uh, going to be yeah. a busy session ahead. Jagmeet Singh, as always, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, sir. The various parties are currently negotiating what form the return of Parliament will take. A dividing line is emerging between the Liberals, the Bloc, the NDP and the Green Party on one side and the Conservatives on the other. The Liberal government has proposed a full resumption of parliamentary business using a hybrid model, a limited number of MPs sitting in the House of Commons and the rest participating online including by voting electronically. The Prime Minister says that case is bolstered given some members of Parliament have been forced to quarantine and cannot vote in person. The Conservatives have suggested that one in four MPs or 86 members be allowed in the House of Commons and they oppose electronic voting. The House of Commons administration is testing an app that would allow MPs to vote remotely. In the meantime, the government is proposing to vote on the Zoom video conferencing application. So Parliament's set to return Wednesday. Both Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and the leader of the Bloc Québécois, François Blanchet, both self-isolating with COVID-19. Not sure when the last time is that we had a leader of the official opposition absent from the House for a speech from the throne. These are different times indeed. And a speech delivered by a Governor-General who's being investigated for claims of harassment against her uh, by her staff. So Lots of things different about this time around. Let's bring in our regular panel of parliamentary press gallery journalists, Susan Delacourt, columnist with the Toronto Star. Joël Denis Bellavance is the parliamentary bureau chief for La Presse. And John Iveson is a columnist with the National Post and parliamentary bureau chief for Post Media. It's good to see you uh, folks all again as we uh, start another season, albeit this time virtually. We'll see how long that lasts. Susan, let me start with you. Uh, Let's talk about the return of Parliament and the speech from the throne. There's both opportunity and a risk for the Prime Minister here. Let's talk about the opportunity first. What is it? Well, I think the opportunity has changed from when he originally announced it as this big master plan for a post-pandemic world, uh, build back better. I think that was the original idea. I think what we have now is, um, is a speech that's got to somehow... Uh, speak for an anxious nation, and a nation that is, um, that is very worried about a second wave. We are here in Ontario, uh, Parliament is here in Ontario, where a second wave looks to be about official, right next door to Quebec, 
where the same thing is happening. So I, I guess the opportunity for him is to actually speak um, more than just from his front doorstep, as he did so much through the spring, and uh, and tell the country that it's going to be okay. Um, the, the, the risk is that things are not okay, and that things are, are way less okay than they were when this original plan started. All right. Uh, John, let me go to you. Uh, opportunity and risk. What do you think they are for the prime minister? Well, he does have the opportunity to strike the right note. And I think, as Susan said, that, that there was, a, there was a, a real risk that he was going to strike the wrong note by uh, campaigning and, and uh, putting money behind really liberal campaign hobby horses. Uh, this uh, Build Back Better, I mean, I think was hearing a figure of about $100 billion in new money being allocated to uh, many green projects that they've, they've wanted to get done. They were going to remake the country in their own image. And I think at the, at the moment, the country is so anxious that it's, that it's not in the mood for that. I think they have uh, reset and they're not going to be quite as strident on some of the, the, the issues that they uh, have crusaded on in the past. I think their uh, health care is going to be to the fore. Uh, to the point where when the premiers came into town the other day and were campaigning for more healthcare dollars, it was kind of odd in that, you know, it was a bit dog bites man rather than man bites dog. I mean, health premiers have always demanded more healthcare money. But then Dominic LeBlanc in the press conference that followed right. said that the Prime Minister was open to the idea of sitting down with the premiers this fall and discussing um, the Canada health transfer. So I think health... Over there will be green initiatives, but I, and I think many of them were, were foreshadowed in the report from from the the task force that came out last week, mainly centered around the retrofit of homes and businesses. But I don't think it will be quite as green as it might have been. Right, uh, Joel Denis, let me hear from you on both what you think the opportunity is for the prime minister and the risk. Well, when the prime minister prorogued parliament in August, I think he let it go that he had a very ambitious agenda when. He wanted to reconvene Parliament and present a speech from the throne. But reality has brought him back on Earth, I would say. Reality is that the situation is not totally under control in many provinces. And so he's got to go back to uh, almost plan plan A, which is fight uh, this virus, make sure that Canadians are, remain healthy. So I'm sure that there has been a lot of changes to the speech from the throne that he was originally anticipating to deliver uh, in the Senate, that, that the Governor General was supposed to deliver in the Senate. Uh, this week. So changes probably have, will be made until the last minute. And so the risk is that the speech has to be, uh, you know, adapted to the reality of today, which is a second wave is coming. We've seen it in two provinces, as Susan has mentioned, in Ontario first, and now in Quebec, it's officially a, a second wave. And there are many areas where they might be go, going back into lockdown. So that, that speech from the throne, the risk is that if there is no, uh, it's not uh, attached to reality. The prime minister may be seen as the person who is not in touch with reality on the ground. The, the, the premier of British Columbia today, John Horgan, called an election for October 24th. So B.C. and New Brunswick will have had elections during the pandemic, uh, maybe others, Saskatchewan perhaps. Uh, Justin Trudeau, you recall, said he doesn't want an election, but also said it's irresponsible to say it's irresponsible to have an election during the pandemic. Uh, Susan, how did you read that comment? And do you think an election in the near future is off the table completely now uh, federally? No, I, I don't think it's off the table. Although I, I think uh, what I wrote about at the time was I thought, think he was getting carried away. 
And I think what he was talking about was the by-elections that he's called. Um, he's called them for October 26th. And I think he was anticipating that he was going to get criticism for calling by-elections in the middle of a pandemic. So trying to get out front of that and leading everybody, including Joan Bryden of uh, Canadian Press, just asked him, wait a minute, it sounds a lot like you want an election. Right. I'm not right. convinced he doesn't want one. I think there are all kinds of reasons why this would be a better time than maybe next spring for one for him. But I also think, speaking of risk, uh, that could look enormously crass and cynical, especially as we're in a second wave. John, what are your thoughts on that? Election off the table now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, Jagmeet Singh had said the throne speech would not be the trigger for it in any case because, you know, there are no specific spending implications in the throne speech. So it, it would only come after a mini budget or fiscal update, whatever they call it, which is likely, I guess, in November or even December. You're getting kind of late in the day then. I, I don't think that uh, Singh in any case wants an election. Although he's saying to me today, John, that uh, he, he, he wants to see some action in, in the time right. between the speech from the throne and the vote on the speech from the throne. He's talking about wanting to see some sort of promise of legislation from the government to enact these measures he's been talking about even before the vote on the speech from the throne. I do think that, that uh, you know, he, he has got to look a bit more uh, bellicose and independent than he has looked because otherwise he's just an adjunct of the Liberal Party. I mean, these are... These liberals are in a hurry, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for the NDP right now. So I think that you know they've learned the lesson from from decades past when the liberals got too the NDP got too cosy with the liberals, and really put themselves out of business. I mean, what's the raison d'être for the for the NDP if the Liberal Party is going to be the party of the left? So I think Singh is clearly being more demanding, but still, you know, if it goes to an election, a lot of NDP supporters are going to be quite happy with what. The Liberals are likely to offer in this throne speech and subsequent budget. Joel Denis, let me ask you about the uh, quickly the possibility of an election. But whether you think the throne speech will give us any sense of whether the government's committed to a fiscal plan, on top of all the new spending we're likely to see, whether it's going to signal that it has a, a plan for getting the expenditures under control, or at least tying them to what everybody calls this fiscal anchor. Well, uh, as for the elections, I agree with my colleagues that I, I think it is mostly off the table this fall because of the second wave coming up. And now the uh, British Columbia government has called an election. So that takes, you know, a lot of the time frame that the government would like to could the federal government could use to call an election. So I think it's off the table until at least the spring of 2021, which is, you know, the most likely scenario will be now into 18 months of a minority government. And that's usually the lifetime of a minority government. Now, as for the fiscal anchor, I think there is a lot of pressure for the government to put something out of the window there uh, to make sure that, you know, the fiscal discipline that we've seen over the last 30 years is not out of the window. Madame Christophe Freeland uh, spoke about this to the former finance minister and former prime minister Paul Martin, who's the one who slayed the dragon, the deficit dragon in the 1990s with the Jean Chrétien government. Um, and I think she's taking this seriously. And She's getting a lot of also signals from so-called blue liberals, the John Manley liberals, right. the Paul Martin liberal, that they need to do something about this. Otherwise, it's the fiscal situation that may be in danger, oh. uh, not only in Canada, but internationally. Okay, Susan, can I hear you for, I got about 20 seconds each for you and John here as our time runs out on, on, where you th on this issue of a fiscal anchor and what we might see signaled in the speech from the throne. I think Krista uh, Freeland being there helps. She's been doing a lot of talking to people. She's been doing a lot of consulting. And what JD said, um, uh, she's been hearing from blue liberals. 
in in spades. So I I do expect that there will be some nod toward discipline because they are hearing that out there. What are your thoughts, John, on this to finish up? Yeah, I think the the David Dodge suggested last week, for example, a, a an anchor of about one uh, percent deficits, one percent of GDP. But to do that, you can't just increase spending in this uh, in this next budget by 100, million, 100 billion or, or even half of that and hope to get to somewhere around 1% of GDP within four or five years. All right, lots to watch uh, coming up, up on Wednesday in the return of the House. Uh, thank you all for our first gathering of the uh, season. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Well, as I mentioned, the voters in British Columbia are going to the polls in a snap election called today. That vote will happen October 24th. B.C. Premier John Horgan, who leads a minority government, says he's calling the election now to end any political uncertainty in the province during the pandemic and the response to it. We are in unprecedented times with challenges we could have never imagined. I want everyone to know that I've struggled mightily with this decision and it did not come easy to me. I understand that families are concerned about their loved ones and their livelihood. I know people are uncertain and worried about the future. I understand that full well. But I want to share with you why I believe in my heart that now is the time to have an election. British Columbians have worked hard to get on the right side of the COVID-19 pandemic, but we are far from out of the woods. We are not at the end of COVID-19, we're at the beginning. This pandemic will be with us for a year or more, and that's why I believe we need to have an election now. We can either delay that decision and create uncertainty and instability over the next 12 months, more speculation, more talk about what might be, or we can do what I believe is always the right thing and ask British Columbians what they think. BC voters going to the polls on October 24th. I'm Peter Van Dusen. That is all for this edition of Primetime Politics. Thanks for watching. See you next time.